Hello and welcome to another episode of the Thorax podcast. I'm Kate Diermady, social media editor at Thorax and intensive care registrar at Barts. Today we're talking to Dr. Elizabeth Smith, respiratory and sleep physiologist and program manager at the Telethon Kids Institute in Perth, Western Australia. Liz recently published a paper in Thorax in May about the impact of premature birth and bronchopulmonary dysplasia on lung health, specifically looking at the longer-term impact and prognostication. Thanks for agreeing to do the podcast, Liz. Thanks for having me. I wondered if we could start by just by talking about bronchopulmonary dysplasia, or BPD. What is it and who does it affect? Yeah, so bronchopulmonary dysplasia is essentially the chronic lung disease of prematurity. It's a bit of an odd disease in that It's not so much a disease as uh, a treatment, so it's defined as the need for more than 28 days of supplemental oxygen at 36 weeks post-menstrual age. So it's a disease that's defined before a child even reaches the point at which they were supposed to be born. We then use that label to define someone throughout their life, which is a little unusual in terms of um, respiratory diseases. The reason we do that is because it is quite a significant risk factor for having chronic or later lung disease. And so for the, my understanding is that BPD is, is, is almost quite a new phenomenon because, or it's an increasing phenomenon because babies wouldn't have survived or premature babies wouldn't have survived the way that they are surviving at the moment. So this aging population or growing population of, of children and young adults with BPD is quite a new phenomenon. So I was wondering what are the, the gaps in the knowledge that we have about it as a condition? Yeah, so BPD as a condition really has evolved, especially over the last couple of decades. So originally it was described in infants who were born at a mean gestation of 32 weeks and about or over 2,000 grams. And that was because historically the infants that are born at earlier gestations just simply didn't survive. In contrast now that we have things like supplemental exogenous surfactant and much gentler forms to ventilate the very premature infant, We can now see babies surviving as young as 22, 23 weeks gestation. And we very rarely see bronchopulmonary dysplasia in infants that are older than 32 weeks gestation. So the disease has really evolved to rather being something due to the kind of insults of mechanical ventilation. Now it's more due to the immaturity of the lungs themselves when the child is born. So they're born at a point where their lungs just aren't ready to uh, undergo gas exchange. So just in terms of the outcomes is it at the moment that we don't have any way at all of avoiding this and it's just a routine part of being extremely premature so thinking about when these treatments first became available so this sort of revolution in neonatal care really happened in the 1990s so it's early 1990s and onwards and so our understanding of how these now young adults are going to go throughout early or not just early adulthood, but into their later adulthood as well, um, is really lacking because we're looking at a cohort of uh, premature infants that were born in the early sort of 1990s and onwards. So this this study that we published on in Thorax is one of the first follow-ups of now adults who were born in this uh, new era of neonatal care. And, you know, what we'd hoped or what what the original consensus might be is that now that we have all these better neonatal treatments, we'll see a lot better outcomes for these individuals now that they're reaching adulthood. But actually what we're finding is that the outcomes are very similar, but it's just because the individuals that are surviving premature birth, they're surviving at a much younger gestational age. So we're seeing 
instead of these infants born 32 weeks and older with um, bronchopulmonary dysplasia, we're seeing infants born at, say, 24 weeks and older with bronchopulmonary dysplasia. So it's a very different disease. Um, but what we found is that we're still seeing quite significant lung function impairments. Whether or not it's inevitable and there's nothing we can do, so this is another thing that we looked at with this paper, is risk factors beyond that neonatal period. So we looked at things like exposure to household smoke, so unavoidable risk factor, but also really key, we looked at some of, or we looked at the impact of a later hospitalization with a respiratory infection, so a respiratory exacerbation following the neonatal period, and found that they were really impactful on not only childhood lung health, but lung health once you got to early adulthood as well. And, and was that something that you were expecting to find? Were you expecting to find that was so significant? I think the degree to which it was significant was was surprising. It's not something that we don't expect in terms of a respiratory infection, even in the term-born population, is a risk factor for later wheeze and an asthma diagnosis and lower peak lung function. So it's something that we do see even in those who are born term, but the degree to which it stratified our preterm populations, I mean, on the day when you're actually um, seeing this group in clinic, you, it's quite striking how some people would be born, say, 24 weeks gestation, and then you'll see them as adults. And to all intents and purposes, they've got very normal lung function and they seem to be doing very well. And then you'll see another individual with a very similar neonatal history and they'll have very different adult outcomes. And this history of repeated infection after that neonatal period seems to be something that really does stratify this group. So that would be a potential point of intervention or, or preventative care if we could avoid those admit admissions, I guess. Absolutely. And I guess when we start thinking about, so they've, there have been some explorations around RSV vaccines for those born extremely premature or um, RSV monoclonal antibodies. But now that they're starting to think about RSV vaccines for mothers, that might be something that we start to see really changing outcomes for these infants is if if you know, we can get RSV vaccines into mothers to prevent those severe infections in the first six months of life, and that might be quite transformative for this group. So it could be something that is potentially modifiable. And obviously you're following up these patients as part of a study, but generally speaking, are premature children, young adults, are they followed up um, from a respiratory point of view or a lung health point of view? Yeah, that's a really good question. So typically, no. In certain centres, you might find that those with more severe BPD might be followed up through the through a paediatric tertiary centre. But generally speaking, those who are born preterm, especially after the first sort of two to three years of life, um, don't receive any coordinated respiratory follow up. And this might be, I mean, as we're seeing increasing numbers of babies surviving preterm birth, this might be something that we think about is you know, who do we follow? And that kind of history of repeated early life infection might be something that we can use to stratify. Okay, so those are the individuals that might be most at risk and that might, might be where we should be focusing that follow-up. And I, I think I read in your in your paper that you said that adult physicians should be more aware about preterm birth and that we don't necessarily ask ask about birth history or neonatal period. Um, and obviously the paper adds weight to, to that argument that it's so important um, for longer term outcomes. Was there anything in the paper that you didn't expect? I think the most striking thing that I didn't expect was, I, I look, I, I guess it's because of the age of our participants, but 
when we looked at personal history of smoking, there were a small number who were current smokers. And we didn't see differences between those who were and weren't smokers and those who had a history of exposure to smoke. However, that's not uncommon when you're looking at a cross-sectional study like this. And what we did find when we looked at the previous longitudinal results is those who were exposed to household smoke showed a greater decline in their lung function. So even though that didn't come out as significant in the cross-sectional analysis, it's something that we'd noted as a risk factor for decline during the longitudinal analysis. So that for me was probably something that I, I would have found unexpected mm-hmm. in this group. I did think the bit about the childhood exposure to secondhand smoke is also a risk factor for premature birth and so is lower socioeconomic status. And the, I know that in your discussion you highlighted that as a point of interest, really. So these these children are, are more likely to have bronchopulmonary dysplasia by virtue of smoking. And then on top of that, they're more likely to have worse outcomes. And I, I thought that was very interesting because that's the argument for public health intervention, isn't it? So. Absolutely. Yeah, the, the interplay between smoking and socioeconomic status and premature birth is really difficult to tease apart, but definitely all related and, that, as you say, a, a point for intervention and public health intervention as well. Um, and then I wanted to ask about WALHIP or the Western Australia Lung Health and Prematurity, because this study was done as part of the larger study. Um, so I was wondering if you could tell me about, about that programme. Yeah, so a really unique program, I think. I, I was quite excited. I, I joined the group in 2018, so really for this kind of young adult follow-up. But the group has been following this group of young people since they were five years of age. And it started off as, as a, I say, a cross-sectional analysis. It was never really intended to be a follow-up through life. But we found them really really valuable resource to look at not only so we've we've shown using this group some risk factors for decline so we looked at lung health at five years and then 11 years and I've alluded to it before but we looked at those who were exposed to household smoke showed greater lung function decline across that period but it's also started to provide some of the first evidence for what we think might be an ongoing inflammatory process in this group so everyone's always thought that this is very static lung disease However, we did some imaging at age 11 and saw things like bronchial thickening in this group and showed increased decline in that group, in that subset of the population as well. And it's really, it's a, I guess for me, it's just a fantastic resource to be able to follow a group of young people born in this era when neonatal treatments um, for those born prematurely has been quite revolutionised and be able to follow them through life and see how they're tracking. So yeah, it's a great, great study to be part of. And so is, is it still ongoing? Yeah, it's yeah. still ongoing. So we're actually bringing the group back again. So just a couple of years after we've completed the last follow-up. And at the moment, we're doing a physical activity and exercise assessment. So they're coming in, they're doing maximal exercise tests, which they also completed at 11 years. So we're looking to see whether or not exercise capacity is the same, reduced, impaired or anything like that in, in this mm-hmm. group. And looking as well at physical activity, so whether or not people may be avoiding physical activity due to breathlessness and whether or not that might have implications for their sort of more overall um, health and risk for cardiometabolic disease mm-hmm. as well. And what's your intention? How long are you planning to follow these people up for? Well, it's always a question of funding, isn't it, that one? But um <laughs> I think ideally, I mean, when we think about COPD, really, it's a disease of 40 plus. And even early onset COPD, we'd be thinking 30, 35 plus. I I think it would be 
an absolute shame to not follow up this group again once they get to that sort of 35 to 40 year age range. And, you know, that's got to be a a major goal for our group. And I hope that Mm -hmm. we can continue to see them to that point. Great. Well, we'll look forward to seeing what comes next from you guys. Um, It was very interesting to talk to you. So thank you very much. Oh, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Thorax podcast. We will be publishing regular podcasts about some of the best content of the journal. If you don't want to miss it, please subscribe on your preferred platform to get it directly on your device each month. We'd also like to hear from you, so please get in touch through our social media channels or leave us a review on the Thorax podcast page on iTunes. Thank you and see you next month.